We will be in Romans chapter 15 this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn there with me. Um, we have a lot to unpack this morning as we dive into this word. We are, this is basically Paul, the beginning of Paul's conclusion to the book of Romans, which kind of makes me sad. I don't know about you, but we've been in the book of Romans for, for a while now. Um, and it's been a sweet, a sweet season. And this is the beginning to his conclusion of that. Um, so we're going to start Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. We'll read the first half and then continue on later. So this is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. This is God's word. So yesterday I took my kids to um, Salisbury Park here in Parker. And when I showed up, there were, um, there, were tr- there were cars in the parking lot and there was these Indian families that were just pouring out of these cars. And so I began to talk with a few of the, few of the guys and um, they said that they're setting up for a celebration in Salisbury Park. And I said, well, what are you celebrating? And they were all... Um, they're all Hindus, and so they were celebrating this, the Festival of Colors, which is um, a festival that a lot of Hindus celebrate. And they said that over a hundred over a hundred Hindus were going to be showing up in Salisbury Park. And I was just thinking about that in light of this passage and what Paul is trying to show us this morning. And I was just blown away by the fact that there's Hindu Indians in our neighborhoods that that most likely come from places where they have yet to hear from Christ, where Christ is not yet known in the regions where most of these people at that park we're coming from. And like, that was astounding to me that they are here in our neighborhoods. And so that's part of the focus of what Paul is getting at here this morning in the text. Um, in the beginning of this text, even in verse 14, we see Paul giving some reasons for why he wrote the book of Romans. We see that Paul is greatly encouraged by the church in Rome. He says that I'm encouraged. I'm satisfied with you, that you are filled with knowledge and goodness and able to instruct one another. And this is an encouraging word, especially after last week, what Pastor Mark taught on, where there were, we're in the church in Rome. There are disputable matters going on over what to eat and what to drink and over what days of the week to do certain things on. 
And so for Paul to say that he is encouraged by what's going on in the church, like that's a good word. Like that should bring them joy and refreshment as a church. But then Paul says in verse 15 that there have been some specific points where he has pushed a little bit harder on and said, I have been very bold with you and written some things very boldly to you as a way of reminder. And I'm sure you probably felt that a little bit through the book of Romans, like Romans one through three, where it just, Paul is pounding on us the depravity of man. We're just like, okay, Paul, like relent a little bit, please. Um, Or Romans nine, like that was, that was a bear to work through. And there's a lot of questions that are still unanswered in Romans 9. And so Paul is, Paul is very bold in what he's saying in the book of Romans. And then further down in this passage, we see that Paul is, begins to describe this unique ministry that he has been called towards, towards the Gentiles. And he actually goes a step further and, and invites in the church of Rome to partner with him in this ministry, in, in Paul's own calling. He's asking the church in Rome to be a sending base for him as he goes to Spain. And so as Paul gets down into verse 19 and 19 through 23, Paul begins to say some things that are, are shocking for us to read. Paul says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. That's from Jerusalem to Turkey. And Paul is saying, I have, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel in this region. Like, that sounds ridiculous, Paul. Like, are you telling me that every person in that region has become a follower of Christ? Not exactly. But verse 23 gives us a little bit more. Actually, Paul, Paul pushes it a little bit further and says that he's telling the church in Rome, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... Like Paul's saying he's, his work is done here, that, it's, that there's no more room for him to be in this area. Like how much elbow room does Paul need? Like is he just feeling suffocated by other believers in the area? Like what is going on here? But I think for us to understand what Paul is saying, we must understand Paul's specific calling. That Paul's calling was not to see as many Gentile individuals come to faith as possible. His calling is what we see in verse 20. Paul's calling is, is this, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. See what Paul is saying here is that, and we see this previously in Paul's life where Paul goes into an area and he preaches the gospel. The gospel seed is planted in the ground and it begins to sprout and the church is born. Take Ephesus, for example. Paul goes into Ephesus, preaches the gospel, plants the church, raises up Timothy, and says, Timothy, I want you to go and I want you to raise up elders, and I want those elders to go out into this region and make Christ known into this area where Christ is already known because there's a, there's a church present here. Paul did the same thing with Titus in Crete, where he went into Crete and he shared the gospel and he planted the church and he told the church, he gave the church instructions, you are now responsible for making Christ known in this area where previously Christ was not known but now Christ is known because there's a church present here. And so now the responsibility is on the church to make Christ known in that area. So Paul is dipping out. He's not staying in Crete or Ephesus for very long because Paul's calling was not to be a pastor or a shepherd or, or, or a, an elder in the church. His calling was different. So why is it important for us as a church that is in a locally reached area? Why is it important for us to understand Paul's unique calling to bring the gospel to where Christ has not yet been named? Why, why is it important for Redemption Parker to be about the same ambition that Paul has? 
I think Paul is crystal clear in the book of Romans as to why this should matter to us. I mean, even starting in Romans chapter one, in the introduction of this book, Paul says, through Christ Jesus, we have received, you and I and Paul and every person who has followed Christ has received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. What Paul is saying is that because you have received the gospel, because Christ has entered into your heart, we now have, have the, been given grace in order to show grace to others, in order to bring the gospel to people who have never heard it. Paul is saying that we have an obligation in the gospel. In verse 14 of chapter 1, Paul says, I am, an un, I am under an obligation. Paul is obligated to bring the gospel to Greeks and to barbarians, to the Gentiles. And that obligation comes from Paul's belief, Paul's trust in the gospel, Paul's trust in Christ and in Christ saving him. It's ultimately our ownership of the gospel because you and I, we have the gospel and Christ has saved us. Our ownership of the gospel creates an obligation with the gospel. If we believe the gospel, if we believe the book of Romans and the whole counsel of God's word, we must be a people that is obligated to take the gospel to those who have never heard it. And before I jump any further into this, this call to go to the nations, I, I want to be crystal clear that, that I am not saying, and Paul is not saying that every single person in this room should get up and go because he clearly told Timothy and Titus to stay and to shepherd the church. But there is a call for some of us to go. And we're going to see that here in the book of Romans. I believe that there's five truths in the book of Romans that tell us that we as a church, as the body of Christ, are obligated to go to the unreached of the world. And the unreached are people that do not have the gospel, people that don't have the Bible, the body of Christ, or believers in their area. So we're going to do a quick survey of the book of Romans and see why, what is Paul saying in the book of Romans about how we're obligated to take the gospel to the unreached. What state are the unreached in today? So truth number one, and these are going to be up on the screen here. Truth number one, for all people have knowledge of God. All people have knowledge of God. Romans chapter one, verses 20 through 21. It says, for what can be, for what can be known about God is plain to them. God's eternal power and divine nature for they are without excuse. Every human being who has been born and died on planet earth is without excuse because we have all, we, we can all know God. You can look out and see his eternal power and divine nature all around us for all people know God, can know God. And so we are without excuse. That's truth number one. Truth number two is that all people have rejected God. So all people know God and all people have rejected God. Again, in Romans chapter one, for although they knew God, for although we knew God, they did not honor him as God and their foolish hearts were darkened. So even though we can know about God, we have exchanged the truth for a lie and we have worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And that does not bring honor to God. Therefore, we are rejecting God. And that that same goes for those unreached peoples who have never heard of Christ. If they're not honoring God, they're rejecting God. Truth number three, because we have rejected God, 
We are all guilty and condemned before God. And this comes from the end of Romans chapter 1 to the middle of Romans chapter 3, where Paul is, is really hitting on this a lot. Like, no one is righteous, not one. No one seeks after God. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Romans chapter 2, he will render to each one according to his works. The whole world will be held accountable to God. Because we have rejected God, all people who have lived on planet earth are guilty and condemned before God. And some of you have, may have asked, I know I've been asked this question, well, what about, what about the man, what about the innocent man or the innocent woman or the innocent tribes people who, who have never heard of Christ? Well, they will be born and they will live and they will die and never hear of Christ. Yeah, that's a great question about the innocent man, innocent woman, or innocent tribes people. And how I'd answer that question is I believe that without a doubt, 100%, that they would die and they would go straight to heaven for eternity. Because ultimately, they don't need the gospel. The innocent man and innocent woman and innocent tribes people do not need the gospel because they are innocent. The only problem is there's no innocent people because all are guilty and condemned before God for rejecting God. And church, what I, what I think Paul is pressing in on here is he wants us to understand the gravity of the situation, that there are people who will not hear the gospel and they will be separated from Christ forever because they haven't heard the gospel. Like these should cause us to stop. These verses should cause us to stop and think and lay a burden on our hearts and compassion for those who have not heard of Christ. Truth number four. This is where it gets good. God has made a way of salvation in Christ through faith. Romans chapter three, verse 21, probably the most beautiful verse in the word. But now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. We, this is chapter five of Romans, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is the gospel. Christ took the full wrath of our sin, of my sin and your sin and every person who has yet to hear of Christ. He took their sin upon himself and paid the penalty that you and I and no one else on this earth could pay. This is the gospel, and this is the gospel that's worth giving our lives for. Because we know the gospel, because we have ownership of the gospel, we are obligated to take the gospel to those who don't have it. And that's point truth number five that Paul gives us. That Christ commands the church to make the gospel known to all peoples. We find that in Romans chapter 10. How then are they to call on him? How then are they, the unreached peoples around the world, how are they to call, how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone goes and preaches to them? And how are they to preach unless someone, someone from this room, someone from a church that's saved, that has the gospel, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Right? Because right after that, Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. For these people around the world, 3.3 billion people who have yet to hear of Christ on planet earth today, they will not come to faith because they have yet to hear the words of Christ. They must hear the words of Christ. 
But the reality is what Paul reminds us of in verse 21 in chapter 15 in this passage is Paul, this, the truth and the promises of God are undeniable that Paul says that those who have never been told of him, they will see. And those who have never heard will understand that the promise is true. This mission cannot fail. And the church, the church, God's church, it is plan A. And there is no plan B. God will use his church for the accomplishment of the great commission among all nations. So those are the, the five truths that I see in Romans for um, what, it, what it looks like, what it means for the church to be obligated to engage with unreached peoples. Quick story for you. Back in 2010, um, Lauren and I, my wife and I, led a, a group of college students to Indonesia. And we um, flew into Indonesia. It was like a 40-hour plane flight. I didn't sleep. I don't, I don't think I slept a minute. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but we went to this small jungle village in Indonesia. And we, when we got there, we quickly felt just this, just this sense of darkness over this place. We were literally, there was probably eight or ten people on our team. And we were the only followers of Christ in this town of a couple hundred thousand people where we were probably the only ones who have ever even heard of Christ. It was 100% Muslim. Many would call this an unengaged area, where there's no gospel witness going on in this area prior to us coming. So we broke off into teams uh, at the beginning of this trip, or the second half of the trip, we came into this village and, and just would spend each day just walking around town and walking through the streets. We would be broken up into smaller teams of two or three with a translator, and we would be invited into homes or invited into businesses or cafes. And we would find ourselves having many opportunities to share the gospel and with these people who had never heard it. And most people, 99% of people would say, well, that's, that's great that you believe that. And that's great what I believe. And I believe that, all, that because you love God and I love God, we're just going to go to the same place. And the truth that, that we all believe in here is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And so it was the, the last day before we're about to leave and our whole team is just spent. We're exhausted. We've been walking around having conversations. If you're an introvert, like you would be, you'd be in the hotel room taking a nap. Like, like, we, like most of us were like Lauren and her friend, they were about to head back to the hotel. This is the afternoon of the last day we we're there. Lauren and her friend are about to head back to the hotel with their translator. And they see this woman who's back in this alley in front of her home. And so Lauren and their team, they, they walk down there and they, they meet Rosna. Rosna is um, the, the mom and the, the woman who owns the home and um, she, they get invited into the home. And so when Rosna brings them inside, there's three or four other women who have children inside of this, this small home. And so Lauren begins to ask like, well, Rosna, what do you do for, for work? And um, just begins to get to know her a little bit. And Rosna begins to share that she is a fortune teller and she tells fortunes with coffee grounds. And so, um, Lauren quickly dives into, well, um, it seems like you're a pretty spiritual person. How do you believe that you are made right with God? Like, how do you, how do you earn God's favor or become right with God? And she begins to share, well, I believe I need to be a good person. I need to live a good life and I need to be a good Muslim, which means I need to adhere to the five pillars of Islam. And then I will be accepted by God. And after she shared this, Lauren began to... Um, she said, do you mind if I share what, what I believe? And so Lauren began to share um, the story from pretty much creation to Christ that we were all born in God's image 
And in his likeness, in that um, everything was perfect, we had a perfect relationship with God, and then man sinned, fell away from God, rejected God, did not honor God. But in God's mercy, he came to earth as a man and lived a perfect life and then um, died on the cross for our sins that we can be made right with God. And as Lauren's sharing this, Rosna's teenage son comes into the room and his name is Henry. And Henry um, comes into the room and when any male comes into a room in this context, um, conversation pretty much stops. Like you kind of show respect to any male figure that's over the age of like 18. And so... Um, Lauren stops and kind of looks at, at Henry to make sure like everything's okay. And Henry's like, oh, oh, continue. Like I'm, I'm interested in hearing, I'm interested in hearing more. And so Lauren continues. She kind of backtracks a little bit and begins to share about um, how Christ redeemed um, all people on the cross. And it was through the death and resurrection of Christ that, that makes us right with God. Nothing based on anything that we could do, but it's through faith in Christ that we can be accepted by God. And so Lauren begins to ask the question like she has numerous times in this week. Um, is this something that you think that you can believe? And every moment, every day before that point, every single person said, no, this whole family, they look around at one another and they all say, yes, <laughs> they all say yes. And Lauren, Lauren goes, no, 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 I don't think you understand. Maybe, maybe something didn't get, didn't get communicated properly. Let me just go over this again. So you're telling me that it's not that, that you think that you can be made right with God, not based on you adhering to the five pillars of Islam or earning God's favor, but putting your trust in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And by putting your trust in him, that you will be, that you'll be made right with God and spend eternity with him forever. Yes. Yes. They all said yes. And in that moment, like Lauren could feel, and, and even when she was telling me this, we could just feel the weight of this area that had just been under the bondage of darkness and the reign of Satan had just been this, like the gospel had come into this area for the first time. And you see this home just illuminate with the light of the gospel for the first time. And not only that, but Lauren, Lauren remembers the words of, of Romans, Romans chapter 10, where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this whole family agreed to that. They confessed this. Lauren prayed over them. We celebrated as a team and we left. About a year later, we're back at work at our jobs and we hear a report come out of this area that Henry had fallen in love with Christ even more. And he told all of his friends, and there were over a hundred believers in this area a year after we left. Like, praise God. Like, may we be a church that is ignited for the glory of Christ to be made known among the nations. This is God's desire for his church. See, the book of Romans in our hearts should turn our obligation into an ambition. When you feel the weight that Paul feels, where in Romans 1, he was obligated to make the gospel known. By Romans 15, it is an ambition. It's something that he is filled with a passion and a joy about. As I mentioned before, there's 3.3 billion people who have yet to hear of Christ. 350 million Buddhists in Japan, Laos, and Vietnam who are bowing down to Buddha when Jesus is worthy of all of their worship. 950 million Hindus in India, Nepal, and Sri Lanka, and some here in Parker, who are bowing down to more 
gods than you and I could fathom and King Jesus is worthy of every breath in their lungs. There's 1.3 billion Muslims in North Africa, Central Asia, and the Middle East who are taking pilgrimage, p- pilgrimages, giving alms, praying five times a day, fasting once a year, and professing that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet when Jesus is the one true God who is worthy of their worship. And their worship is confused because they don't know the gospel so what do we as a, as a church, how are we as a church living in light of the truth that there are 3.3 people, 3.3 billion people in our generation who have never heard the gospel? Our response today, I don't know if the, did the picture come up from, cool, do you guys saw that? I forgot to mention that. So yeah, Rosna and her family and Lauren and, and yeah, um, So as we respond to Paul's word here, um, we're going to dive into the rest of this passage because ultimately Paul, Paul's ambition for this, he was sharing it with the church in Rome because Paul wanted the church in Rome to help him get to Spain where he could preach the gospel in Spain, where it was a land of darkness because it was an area where the gospel had not reached yet. So Paul will show us that there are three ways that the church is involved in this mission to make Christ known that the church gives the church prays and the church goes. So a mission fueled church gives look with me at verse 24 to 28 of Romans chapter 15. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped there on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Paul is telling us here that the whole book of Romans is essentially a a missionary support letter to the church in Rome. Paul is writing this letter as he's about to go on his way to drop off resources to this suffering poor church in Jerusalem. And Paul is saying that there's actually two churches who have already committed resources to help the church in Jerusalem. Macedonia and and Achaia have already, have already made some contributions. So he's saying, come on, Rome, like get on mission. Let's do this together. We like Paul's needing the partnership of Rome because after he leaves Jerusalem, Paul will be going to Spain and he will be stopping in Rome. Because he's asking for support, not only support financially, but he's asking for this church to be engaged in mission with him. Paul knew that the only way for him to get to Spain was through the support of the church in Rome. Because Paul knows and believes that the church is what fuels the gospel advancement. It's, it's, the church is what fuels these nations that have never heard being reached with the gospel. He knows that this is God's plan A and there's no plan B. So a mission-fueled church gives and a mission-fueled church prays. Verses 30 through 33. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, 
to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. So Paul is telling us to pray in two ways here. Pray for our missionaries. We must be praying for our missionaries. Paul specifically asked for prayer for him as he's taking this, this contribution to the, the saints in Jerusalem. Paul's saying, as I go to Jerusalem, pray for my protection as I bring it there. And also that as the church in Jerusalem receives this, that they would be blessed, that they would be enlivened and refreshed in the gospel. That they would have joy. And then Paul also asked for prayer that if God's will would be done, that he would make it to Rome. And that, that his joy would be complete and that he be, would be refreshed by this church that he has longed to see for many years. Later this summer, we have a family who is a missionary partner of this church's who will be coming um, to this church this summer. And the husband will be preaching. Like, what if we as a church, even right now, began to pray for this family as they've served many hard years in Europe and They're coming here this summer. Like what if they were just refreshed and poured into and blessed so richly during their time here? Like they came here and they were just filled with joy and refreshment before they go back overseas, back to the, back to the mission field. Like let's pray that they would be refreshed in the Lord as they spend time with us this summer. So Paul calls us to pray for our missionaries. We're also called to pray for the unreached to be saved. I don't know of a better example of, of that going on than our ready to learn room in the back. There's a, there's a book, um, that's a, a kid's version of operation world. Um, and our seven to 11 year olds back there are praying every single week for a different country, a different people who has not heard the gospel. And they're spending time every single week praying for unreached peoples using this resource. Like, let's learn from our littlest image bearers in the back. Like, let's lift up these unreached peoples to be saved by the Lord. A few months ago, I heard of a a blind church in Poland who had been praying for a specific unreached people group in the North Caucasus, which is in Western Russia. They've been praying for, for this region for 10 years. Every single week, they've been praying for the same region. And I believe they've been praying for the same region because they believe that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered around the throne room of God and that God's promises are coming true. And I I promise you, I'm not kidding when I say this. I received an email this morning from one of my friends, like this morning I received it, that who's serving in this region. And he, and he's been serving this region for several years. Like he's learned language. He's been waiting to go into this, this specific region that this blind church has been praying for. And he, a week ago, he received an invitation to go to the main village where this unreached people group is. He just shared that with me this morning. Like God is opening doors for the gospel to come in. So those are two ways that I believe that we can be praying according to what Paul encourages us. But lastly, I want us to, to look at what, how Jesus encourages us to pray. There's not a more specific prayer that Jesus gives us to specifically pray than in Matthew 9 where Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Those are words from the Christ, from the King of Kings. He's telling us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. 
Like, what if, we, what if we prayed this prayer regularly? What would the Lord do at this church if we prayed this prayer regularly? Like, you, my, my hope and prayer that many of you wouldn't be here a year from now. Like, that, that would be sad and also good. But also, like, can, we, can you even fathom praying this for your friends or your, your own family? Like, yes, it's so sad to see our friends and family leave. But when the stakes are this high, we've got to pray these prayers. One of the most inspiring stories that, that I came across years ago was the story of the Patton family who lived in the 1800s. James Patton um, was the father of John Patton. And John Patton wrote a biography. Um, and early on in John's life, he would share these stories about James, his dad, going into what, J- what John would call his sanctuary closet, where he would spend hours in a closet Praying, praying for his family, that God would use his family for his namesake among the nations. God answered James's prayers. John ended up going to the unreached area of the New Hebrides, which is in the South Pacific near Australia. John served there for decades among cannibals. He was there for decades among cannibals. He didn't get eaten, but he made the gospel known in that area. And if you were to Google churches in the New Hebrides today, you would see it blown up in red because of James's prayers being answered for his son and his son's faithfulness to make the gospel known where Christ is not yet known. So if you, if you want more resources on how to pray for unreached peoples, I would love to talk with you after the service and share those with you. Um, but one plug I do want to put out there is that the week before Easter, so April 11th, we're going to be hosting a week of prayer and fasting for the nations, for the unreached. It'll be over Zoom, and it'll be at night after we put the kids down, and we're just going to pray for 30 minutes every night for, for the, the week before Easter. Um, as it's just a, a really practical way to, to lift up these requests before the Lord. So a mission-fueled church gives, a mission-fueled church prays, and a mission-fueled church sends. See, we at RP, we, we believe in going to our neighbors and to the nations. And I believe that, that we must be a both-and church. To be fully missional, for us to, to say that we're a missional church in the biblical sense— It means to pursue missions locally among reached peoples, as well as being an engaged sender and supporter of missionaries to the unreached. Like, let's be a church that sends our people, our best, to our neighbors and to the nations, among those who have never heard of Christ. I'm going to close our time with this quote from Pastor John Piper. It'll be up on the screen here. This is specifically talking about this chapter that we're looking at. And and frontier missionaries pour out their lives by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, to break through thousands of years of darkness and reign of Satan over a people who do not know the King of kings and Savior of the world. And since the great commission to make disciples of all nations is still valid, and there are still peoples today who do not know the gospel, therefore, every church should pray that God raise up many frontier missionaries and make all of us evangelists. I imagine, indeed, I pray that 10 years from now, someone, 
Perhaps 10 of you will write a letter home from an unreached people and say here, or I am here to speak the gospel to those who have never heard. For as it is written in Romans 15, 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Let me pray for us. Oh God, we... We pray that you would make that a reality in this church. Lord, that you, that 10 years from now, that, that we would look back and see that half this congregation is gone and gone to the nations, God. Gone to make your gospel known where Christ is not yet known, God. May there be a fire of the gospel that's burning in our, in our hearts, knowing that there are people, 3.3 billion people who don't know you, God. Lord, I pray for your patience. I pray for your mercy upon the nations. Lord, I pray for your salvation to come upon the nations that you would send laborers to your harvest field. God, may you use this church for your namesake among the nations. God, please, we beg you. I thank you for this time and your word this morning. Thank you for your word that it never fails, God. We love you and we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.